Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So this is a PG thirteen ish service. So this is your opportunity. If you have uh, young younger ones, I would say sixth grade or below. We have an awesome children's ministry out there. But today we're going to dive into some deep waters, and you might have a conversation sooner than you wanted to. Um, so if that's you, feel free to. To grab your uh, your young ones, and if you want to, uh, if not, they're more than welcome to be in here as well. Um, let's recap last week. We're in this grace and truth, faith, gender, and sexuality. Last week, Adam talked about kind of like the moral compass. Where, where are you getting your moral compass? What's going to help you make the decisions as you move forward in your life? And what value system are you going to put in place for that? And who is going to help drive that? And so what are you listening to? Who has your ear? Who has your, who has your heart? Who has your mind? What are you inputting into your life and how is it directing you and guiding you? And this series is for followers of Jesus. I want to make that crystal clear. This series is for followers of Jesus. This is for people who are saying that they're trying to submit their life to God's word and his plan the best that you can. So uh, if you're bringing your secular friends, that's awesome, but they might not think that this is great. But we're submitted to God's word as we move forward in this sermon series. Here's where we're going. Just give you guys an update so you can uh, be excited about coming back. Um, well, maybe. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about singleness and what a gift that is and how awesome that can be that singleness is not, there's nothing wrong with you if you choose to live a singleness life. It's actually encouraged. Uh, and then we're going to talk about marriage and some of the foundations of marriage and what does it mean, where did it come from, how does this work, and get a good biblical understanding of how is this supposed to work. Not what our government says, not all these other things, but like what does God say about that. And then the week after that, uh, Adam's going to preach on same-sex attraction. What does it look like? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? What does that look like here uh, in a church setting? How do, we, how, do we, uh, how, how do we move through that with grace and truth? And then I get the privilege of preaching on gender uh, the week after that. And then our last week is going to be wrapped up as like, what do we do with this as followers of Jesus? How are we to function and love and care and, and really lean in to people's lives and the tough moments of their lives? So to me, this is a risk. This sermon series is a risk. This is not a, a, a church grower usually. Uh, some of you may, may get up and leave today. I hope not. That's not my intent. But I may say something that you just adamantly disagree with, and that's okay. Um, but I was absolutely compelled, and I would be in sin as a pastor, to not talk about the things we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. To not have to dive. And I wanted to do it so much sooner in my sermon club, and their great wisdom, they're like, Ert! there's a lot here, Josh. I'm like, I know, I'm ready. They're like, we're not ready. And so we slowed down, and have you guys looked at the resource page online? Okay, this is a big debate we had, not a real debate in our sermon club. Like, does anybody even care to look at it? So to get where I'm going or where I've been, that's seven books, like two different church, three different church sermon series, uh, lots of podcasts and all of those things. Like there's been lots and lots of work. Here it is. 
It's, uh, it's, there's tons of like all the books that are on there, all this. How do you guys think that? And there's plenty of times, especially today, where I'm like, that's what I want to say. Can we just play that guy's sermon? Can I get out of the way, Lord? And he doesn't let me dodge those things because he wanted me to wrestle and work this down. And boy, has it been wrestling and working it down this week in my own life. So it's worth the risk. It's worth fighting for. Let me, uh, you know what? It feels more right for me to come down off the stage for this part. Um, Today we're talking about sexual brokenness. And I are that and have been that. I would, I could should be sitting in this seat, hopefully listening to myself. My life has been dramatically changed because of sexual brokenness. I come from a history of parents and grandparents that committed uh, adultery. I have broken, just a disastrously broken family that came out of like fornication and just hookups and cousins that I've never met and people that are just scattered throughout the country and moms that were trying to raise their kids by themselves and dads that were trying to raise them kids by themselves. And so, like, well, why do you want to talk about this topic? I really don't want to talk about this topic, but God cares so much about the broken people and sexual brokenness. It's not about, it's not always about the sex. It's about, like, the heart that chooses me and my needs and my wants and my rights and all of my stuff before the community. You're going to maybe learn a little bit more about me than you wanted to today. Um, Not only am I a victim of sexual brokenness in my own extended family, I was also a participant in sexual brokenness as a young man. And do you know that you could even continue your sexual brokenness in a monogamous relationship and being married for 28 years, you could still be sexually broken inside. You still, you still could, you could have all the external stuff correctly and that you've, you've been faithful with your body, but still be broken inside of your marriage. So today's sermon probably gets everybody, Okay. That sexual brokenness in my family led to a conversation when I was 13. My parents were divorcing and they were divorcing because of adultery. And here I am, a 12, 13, 13 year old kid, and my dad comes over to my house, our old house, where we lived as a family, only child. And he tells me, that he's leaving and he's moving to Alaska and he's going with his girlfriend. And that he loves me a lot and goodbye. There's more pieces to the puzzle that are all in there, but at the root of this is in brokenness, brokenness in relationships. The reason why God hates sexual brokenness is because the pain is so intense in that relationship. <laughs> And so 
It is something we have to address. And this is not even remotely new. It's not even remotely new when you read God's word. This has been going on for a long, long time. But what is the Christian, what are the followers of Jesus? What is our sexual ethics? What does it look like to be following Jesus and trying to be whole in that area of your life? And so I just implore you guys to wrestle with the topic. I implore you guys to, to email Adam if you have any problems with the sermon. <laughs> it's Adam at liferotp.com. No. <laughs> but to not run away from these things, that's not going to help you in your marriage. That's not going to help you in your singleness. That's not going to help you with all the d- desires that we have and the things that we're being pushed towards. God wants the absolute best for us. And he wants the absolute best for you in every aspect of your life, including your sexuality. Amen? And so I guess I just wanted to bear my heart to you on this, that I don't have this all figured out. I am not innocent. I cannot stand up here and throw any stones. I have a pretty vast past of sexual brokenness. And so I'm not like the, the, the Bible answer man and throwing stones and telling you like you're a sinner. That's not the point of today's message. We're all sinners. We're all sexually broken somewhere, probably. You all have probably been affected by it in your life somewhere, in your family tree. And so for us, it starts in our own very own circle. It starts in the circle of Josh Gray and his heart and his relationship with his creator to change that narrative in my family. Maybe to be one of the first Grays to not have committed adultery and start changing that example of what it looks to walk it out in my life. So I just wanted to share that with you guys from my heart of this is not like a, ooh, I'm like me, you, me, you. No, this is me. This is a we out here. Josh, don't mess this up. Series is too important. Say everything perfectly, but it's me, you guys. I'm not going to say everything perfectly. Don't offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone in here. That is not my heart. I want you to fall in love with Jesus and his way and his plan for your life. Even in this area, especially in this area, as a matter of fact. So let's talk about the hard things in the Bible together. In our groups, let's be followers together. There's more things that unite us than divide us. And let's be that kind of church. Let's be a a real life church that talks about these things. And let's be a real living church that actually lives this out the best that we can. It's so funny, my pastor friends who I've been counseling with, my mentors, you know what their advice is? Good luck. Let me know how this works out for you. So maybe they know something that I don't know. So today has the potential to touch everyone here, your past, your present, and your future. And the hurts that you have. You might be sitting right in the middle of some pretty bad sexual brokenness in your life. And again, today's not about condemnation. Most people that I know, most people that are Christians that I know, have not walked this trail without a blemish. Especially me. This could bring up some ouch points for you today. Could make you squirm in your chair a little bit. Make your palms sweaty. You're like, ah. What is that? 
But today is not about condemnation. It's about the beginning of a journey of freedom. Identifying the things that are holding you back and where your future with Jesus Christ will be when you're bold enough to follow Jesus in your life and flee from sexual brokenness and have a sexual ethic that lines up with God's word. So we're going to need some grace in this opportunity. And I thought there wasn't probably, uh, there's a great passage that I want to read. Uh, and you know what? Let's read it out loud. This is from Romans. Romans chapter 6. Paul is speaking uh, to the church in Rome, Jews and Gentiles. And uh, he's really laying it out for folks about some things that are going on with uh, sin there and also, but how we are free from that. And so... Uh, I'll read it as we, as we go along here, but just let this soak over you because this is my hope today is that we walk things out in grace. So Paul says, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as sin, as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself as an instrument, or to him, as an instrument of righteousness. As an, every part of yourself as an instrument to living rightly. For sin shall no longer be your master. Amen? We are not stuck. We are not stuck in sexual brokenness. Because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And this grace is free to me and you, but there was a price that was paid for it. And so today we want to live under his grace. So here's the debate. And sometimes you might not even know it's a debate. It is so ingrained into everything that we're doing. Well, I was talking to one of our youth pastors and he's like, you know what some of the first questions that sixth and seventh grader, sixth and seventh graders are being asked when you meet somebody? It'd be like me, uh, let's see, who can I pick on? It'd be like me meeting Sandra. Hi, Sandra, how are you? My name is Josh. What's your sexuality? What are you? Like, that's in the top, like, that's the quickest things that people ask. They want to know, like, what is your sexual preference? What are you, what are you about? And it happens so fast, like, that's your identity, is your sexuality. And that is a lie. Your identity is not your sexuality. And that's where it gets mixed up. And, and that's what it's becoming is like, well, that is your identity. And I'm part of this group. And I'm part of this group because that's our identity. We are this. And you are this. You're married. You're single. You're this. You're that. There's a modern cultural sexual ethic that you and I might not even be aware of. And it seems like it's super new, but it's, it is new when you talk about like 3,500 years. But this modern cultural sexual ethics started with the sexual revolution in the 1960s in our narrative. And what it went to, this is like the entirety of the modern sexual ethic. Two consenting adults. 
That's it. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're not raping somebody, as long as you're not, just as long as you're consenting. Because whatever, it's about what makes you feel, feel good. What would, what would satisfy you? What would make you feel okay? And that's the modern uh, sexual ethic that I've lived in my whole life. My parents' advice to me when I was, my mom's advice to me when I was 13 or 14 years old as I was leaving the house to do who knows what, it was don't forget your raincoat. Condom. Like there was an expectation that me at 13, 14, or 15 years old, like why would I not, why would I need to wear a condom? Well, because you'll wreck your life. You'll mess your life up if you get somebody pregnant. Was there a better way to not get somebody pregnant? But see, I was in, I'm enveloped in that culture. That obviously, you know, my parents were free to do whatever they wanted. And their parents were, you know, and this idea of two consenting adults and just throwing away a sexual ethic has not led us to a good spot. And the rest of the world, and maybe some of us sitting in here who are trying to be followers of Jesus are like, well, what are you talking about? Like, what's the problem? So when, you, when I say modern sexual ethic, what I mean is two consenting adults. That's it. That's the depth of it. And what, you've, what, what feels good to you. And then there's this thing called the biblical sexual ethic. The Bible's view on sexual ethics. And the church has had the same stream of thought on sexual ethics that began in the Older Testament and it continues through the Newer Testament. We see this in the book of Leviticus. So Moses is, is getting these laws in the book of Leviticus chapter 18 is a great read for you. And it's all things about like who you can have sex with or who you shouldn't have sex with. And here's the crazy part about Leviticus. You know why they had to give you those laws? Because that was happening. When they left from, from Egypt, there was a sexual ethic that was happening in Egypt. And God's like, hey, uh, you can't have sex with your aunt. Okay. Hey, don't have sex with animals. Okay. Like, that's a good one. Like he had to lay all these things out and he goes like your brother's mother's sister. Like he just goes through all these things. You read chapter 18. They were struggling with it. God's chosen people leaving. Am I yelling? I'm sorry. God's chosen people leaving. 3,500 plus years ago are learning what a biblical sexual ethic is. So it's going to be really hard for me to shrink the seven books that we read, the untold podcasts and interviews and the other church sermon series that are awesome. You should listen to those because they'll be good ones. Down into five cute 25-ish minute sermons. But at the end of the day, today, what I want you to walk out of here with is starting to think about what is your sexual ethic? And what should it be as a follower of Jesus? And how do you interact? Now, this is not to like throw stones and be like, yours is wrong, like your friends that don't follow Jesus and start beating them with the Bible because that hasn't worked very well. But how are you going to personally walk it out? This circle right here, you, the air you breathe and who you are, how are you going to walk out your sexuality underneath the submission of God? Myself and the elders of this church hold to uh, a biblical 
sexual ethics viewpoint. And we'll talk more about that. So why is this a church topic? Because God so greatly cares about the things that we do that involves other people that can cause brokenness. I'm not going to do the raise your hand, but I would imagine if I said who in here has been affected by sexual brokenness in their life, we would not have very many hands that wouldn't have gone up. God gives us really strong warnings about this in the Bible. He knows it's an issue, so he does that in Leviticus. And he writes down all these laws about who you could and shouldn't have sex with. He talks about it in the confines of marriage. And then you go to Paul in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. So Paul, let's rewind real quick. Corinthians is current day San Francisco and current day Las Vegas smashed together. If you've been to those cities, you're like, okay, that gives me a picture. This is like the retired people who fought in the Roman Wars that are like, they're Americans. Like they dominated, they got them and their stuff and like plundered and killed and look at me, I'm big, bad, awesome. Like this is those people. This is people who got, who worked for their freedom from slavery and they are free. They are free from somebody else telling them what to do. So they're going to do what they want to do. Right. And then there's this church there in Corinth. Again, San Francisco and Las Vegas smashed together. And there's this church there and they're trying to figure some things out because <laughs> their culture isn't much different than ours. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 20. Strong warnings about how we're supposed to operate. Not just in, sex, not just in our, our sexual ethic, but like in our, just our, our, our morality. And here's what Paul says. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, porneia, it's the word there, it's not, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, people worshiping, uh, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedies, greedy, if you're greedy, nor drunkards or slanders or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's like, I don't know if he's just kind of like ADD as he's going through that. It's like, but like, okay, let me put them all in here. And that is what some of you were. What? There are people who are following Jesus who were greedy. There were people who were following Jesus who were idolaters. There's people that were following Jesus that were slandering other people. There's people that were following Jesus that were sexually immoral. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything you say. BK, have it your way. You rule. What do you, you have the right to say, two consenting adults, whatever you want to do. You have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. There are so many people that are mastered by sexual brokenness. All the statistics on porn and what's that doing in their life and how it's affecting that and how it's raising the rape culture and how it's raising all these things, like they are mastered by it. You say food is for the stomach and the stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body, however is not meant for sexual immorality. This beautiful temple that you have is not meant 
to be degraded. It is not meant for just two consenting adults. It's not meant for just something. It's, it's, it's special. Your body is special. It's not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord and his purposes and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will, he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We talk about this at our church. Is this the church, the building? Where does the church reside? This is, again, a sermon series is for followers of believers. So when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you raised your hand or you said the prayer or you closed your eyes or whatever you did and you started trying to walk out what it looks like to follow Jesus, you got this thing that came into your body. And the thing that came into your body was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in your body. That's what they're talking about. Holy Spirit comes in your body and Christ is within you. So you're going to take Jesus to, uh, to, to, to you to watch your porn with you? Are you going to take Jesus with you to go visit a prostitute? Are you going to take Jesus with you to go to a one-night stand or a party hookup or something? <coughs> Never! Never! Do you not know that he, he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. And it's not just talking about the transferring of fluids. It's talking about a mending and a bonding of the souls. But whoever is unified with the Lord is one with him. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The grace we receive. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As Adam said last week, live life God's way. I know this is heavy. We'll get to a better point here. See, culture 3,500 years ago was undermining the biblical sexual ethic. Culture in Corinth and at the time of Christ with Rome and all the things that were going on, bathhouse. You go to, you go to Israel or you go to Rome, it's like bathhouse, bathhouse, bathhouse. You go to Turkey, it's like bathhouse, bathhouse, bathhouse. It's all about like the body and nudity and, and like... Yep. But there's a problem then. And for some reason, we just haven't solved this problem. And I don't know if the church, Christians, followers of Jesus, if we're closer to a biblical sexual ethic or we're farther away. Here's a quote. The culture's message of sexual freedom has been damaging and has not fostered sexual flourishing. Mary uh, Epstad, in her book, says that the sexual revolution uh, has destigmatized and uh, uh, demystification of non-marital sex and the reduction of sexual relations in general to a kind of recreation in which anything goes as long as those involved are 
consenting adults, despite promising so much of this freedom, the sexual revolution has been devastating, leading to prolonged adolescence, widespread pornography on a scale we've never seen before, and increasing in predatory behavior on the part of men and the sexualization of women and children. It's damaging for everyone, for men, for women, for young people, for families, for society. Like pornography has become widespread in both men and women. Do you know what one of like the best-selling books and novels of the decade from 2010 to 2020 was? What? Fifty Shades of Grey, of not Josh Grey. <laughs> now, if you have like Covenant software and stuff on your computer and all those things, don't look that up. Don't be curious about it. But that is not God's way. That is the way of our culture. The porn culture is a mess. Can easily access and see things in the privacy of your own phone. And it leads to a messed up idea about sexuality. Here's great for us churchgoers, us believers. Well, that's the world's problem. Sure is. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors have viewed porn on a regular basis. So all the guys look at somebody else. You've got to figure out which 30% is not you. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actually search for porn. That They say, I was guilty of that as a young Christian. I thought the Bible was really neat. I was a pretty cool fan of it. I was pretty excited about it. How'd that work out? Really healthy for your marriage. Yeah, oh, there's so many lies about it. There's so many lies. Well, they, the, the actresses are doing it because they love it. <laughs> for sure. I mean, obviously. Like, don't read any interviews of folks that have come out of that industry that aren't even believers. And all of the internet, three of the top 15 searched websites every day are porn sites. Like Google, YouTube, Facebook, eh, this one, this one, eh, this one, this one. Eh. And you look at the times in which people are spending on those. That's so destructive. Here's what Pope John Paul said about porn. I thought it was a pretty good quote. I wanted you guys to hear it. There is no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. In short, the problem with pornography is that it shows too, uh, it's not that it shows too much of a person, but that it shows far too little. It reduces it to an act and a performance. And then we take our Christian narrative and we're like, well, I guess that's what it's about. That's not really what it's about. Our culture perverts, perverts sex through porn to capture men. It perverts sex using romance to capture women. Now, is this too much 
for God to overcome. It's not even a new problem. The problem is right here in each individual person and you choosing to try and land on which, what is your sexual ethic going to be? What are you going to let guide your path when it comes to sexuality? God can change our hearts and minds. So here's some, let's, let's, we've gone down this road. We're in a, there's two, two sexual ethics, a biblical sexual ethic and a modern sexual ethic. As a follower of Jesus, it's not too hard to figure out which one you're supposed to effort towards. So here's some positive things I want you guys to take away today. First of all, sex is good and it's God's idea. He created it. It's important and it needs to be reiterated since much of you know, what I've said about sexual brokenness and all those things seems to be negative. We were created to have, you know, to, to populate the world. God made it the way it is because he wanted to encourage that. And you're here, you're here because your parents had sex. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. God created it for good. He was super, super, super excited about what it would do in the right order with the right people in the right timing in the right place, what it would do to a husband and a wife. He was super excited. He is super excited. So it's in the text in Genesis. You see it. It's, it's deemed very good. So don't ever think the Bible is anti-sex or that the book that you're trying to follow is anti-sex. God invented sex. It's a gift that he has given to us and it's good. Now, you do not, you do not need to have sex to flourish as a human. There's not something wrong with you if you chose to live a celibate life. If you're single in here, and we'll talk about this next week, you're not single because something's messed up with you. Like singleness needs to be like reversed in how we embrace singleness, and that is fully okay. You know, there's some people in the Bible that we would understand that didn't have sex that flourished pretty well, like Jesus. He's the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. He wasn't married. He shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, are intrinsic to being fully human. You don't have to. I know it seems weird in the world, but you don't have to. At the resurrection, no one who has chosen Jesus over sexual fulfillment will have missed out. Compared with that relationship, human uh, marriage will seem like a toy car next to a Tesla. That's from Rebecca McLaughlin. The third thing I want you to remember, that God's sexual guidance is for our good. He is not trying to take the fun out of things. He's trying to take the perversion out of things. We've already seen that no rules leads to destruction. We've seen that if you're sexually liberated and it's just about two consenting adults, it's almost like a, it's like a trap that clamps onto you that you drag around for your life. God never intended the gift of sex to cause so much constraint. He never intended it to degrade each other. He intended it to unite 
So he gave us great instructions about our well-being. He gives us the do's and don'ts, and they're for our good. God doesn't give them to withhold something from us, but so that we can flourish. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. God would like you to have a biblical sexual ethic. So it'll go well with you and your descendants forever. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> if you've been a victim of sexual abuse, which statistics would say that's a high number in here, or coercion, you were taken advantage of, male or female, that was not God's intended plan. That is not what he wanted for you. But when sexual brokenness runs rampant in a culture, that happens. I want you to hear this. Katie McCoy writes, the Bible's not silent on this issue. From the very beginning, he intended for women to be protected and valued. Whether it's a college sophomore at an Ivy League university, a 14-year-old Nigerian abducted by Boko Haram, or a 65-year-old woman finding the courage to break her silence, an assault against Eve is an assault against Eden. And one day, every wrong committed against her daughters will be righted by a justice-keeping God. Men... Men commit most of the sexual abuse. Women are catching up now because of our culture, but men do it the most. Clean up your own circle. Start in your own heart. Change your family's future by choosing to follow what God would say in that area in your life. Last piece here. God delights in forgiving sexual sin and restoring broken people. I'm a big restoration project for my Lord. But if you're broken in this area or you've broken reins in some other area, you have the ability to, 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 to start moving towards sexual wholeness. The culture's version for Sexual flourishing is bankrupt. We're all sexually broken, and yet we serve a God who is eager to forgive and repair our broken sexuality. Jesus came to set the captive free. And this means the sexual captive as well. He invites us to come to the cross where the ground is level. He provides more grace than any of us could ever need. He's always tender to anyone who comes to him for life. He will will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. 
to them. Start in your own circle. Start in your own, your own marriage. Start in your current relationship right where you're at. Have Jesus be fully involved in that. I know most of us didn't mean to be sexually broken or be a victim or a participant in it. But today's the day you can choose. Not just today, but today would be a great day to choose. Which path do you want to go on? Do you want to have a modern view of consenting adults and that's all it is, it's dogs in a park? Or do you want to have a biblical view of two flesh joining, becoming one? and experiencing what God would have for you in that area of your life. Pray with me. Father, uh, I want to use an I statement here, but I think it's a we statement. I think that, 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 that it's broad enough that we are sexually broken, Lord. All of us. And you have this given us Jesus as a tender and compassionate Savior. My prayer, Father, is that today and in the coming weeks, we would continue to dive in and seek your purpose and your plan in our life through grace, through your truth, and all of these things we're discussing about our faith and our sexuality and gender and all of these things that are being bombarded at us in our world that you would provide clarity on us. And you would also allow us to have the grace to live it out as followers of you. And to live it out so well and to love so well people that think differently than us. That they would be drawn to you and to your word and to your plan through the grace and mercy that we would show. But also the steadfastness that we would show that we are different. We are called to be different, Lord. Have your hand on this body. Every hand on every heart and soul in here. Help us to choose to start here and to follow your plan and to flee from brokenness and to help others flee from brokenness as well. When we say this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take this time to go to communion. Here's the grace. Here's the mercy. Here's the thing that, that we need. This is what washes away all of the mess that we may have created for ourselves forever. All right. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he'd given thanks. And he broke it and he said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember. Lord, thanks again for this time. Father, I ask any words that I said were not what you wanted, you would just erase them. You would men in black these folks. Um, things that were of you, Lord, I ask to be absolutely impressed into their hearts, that they would be something that they would wrestle with, 
They would wrestle with it in community. They would wrestle with it in prayer, Lord. And I pray that people choose to follow your plan and your purpose in all ways in life, but in this particular message and what you want for us in our sexuality and how we're, how we're to operate in that. I ask you to lead people to freedom out of the constraints that they've been in in this area. I ask you would just heal people. You would heal them in a beautiful, beautiful way of any shame, any guilt, any of the stuff that they may be like, I've gone too far. You just don't know. Your grace is enough. It is absolutely sufficient. It covers everything, Father. So we just ask for your hand upon us as we try and walk this out this week in our groups, as we walk this out and we move closer to you and your purpose and your plan. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.